We are in a series, uh, our second week, titled Follow. And um, it, we've essentially been asking this question, what, what would it look like if we stripped away all of the religion and expectations and man-made social constructs and laws and judgments that we've kind of made that define what it means to follow Jesus? How many of you know there are a lot of things that, that maybe um, Christians or churches have kind of superimposed onto the definition of what it means to follow Jesus that not, may not or may be not, not, not necessarily part of how Jesus viewed that? Uh, what if we uh, put ourselves in the shoes of the early followers of Jesus and learned through their eyes and through their experiences of what it means to follow him? And so that's kind of the question that we've talked about. There's a scripture in John chapter 4, and if you've got your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to it. Um, I've, I've read this scripture many, many times. I've preached sermons on this scripture. It's the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. And here's the thing, as I've just been studying this week, asking this question, um, I don't think I've ever really noticed or really taken too much attention to what it must have been like to be a follower of Jesus as he led them into Samaria and this whole scenario that happens in John chapter 4. Because following Jesus means that he leads us into experiences that we would otherwise choose not to experience. Amen? If you're a Christ follower, then I guarantee you, Jesus has led you into experiences that you would choose to avoid, that you would not be doing. He's, he's led you, maybe even the sheer fact that you are in this room today is living proof that, that Jesus is leading you into an experience that you never thought that you would do. Because some of you, you wrote off church a long time ago, and you're like, I'm never going to be showing up at a church again. I don't want to have anything to do with this. And the sheer fact that you're here shows you that Jesus has different plans for you. And so, <clears throat> I wonder if you would stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word in John chapter 4. What we're going to do is we're going to read verses 1 through 9, and then uh, we're going to skip like the middle part, because that's not quite what we're focusing on today, and we're going to follow up a little bit later on and finish off the story. It starts in verse 1. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus... Tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy the food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So Jesus and this woman have continue in this kind of extensive conversation that starts out with Jesus knowing and had a, having kind of a word of knowledge that she's had many re different relationships with multiple men. And then she sidesteps this discussion by um, bringing up an even, even equal, equally awkward subject like racism and the geopolitical landscape. And 
and which religion is right or wrong and where are you supposed to worship and which mountain and all these things. And then in verse 25, it follows up. They come to a stalemate. And this woman just kind of is like, yeah, you know, what? Who can, who can really know? She says, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. In other words, like, I mean, who can really know? Like Buddha, you know, like Confucius, uh, you know, Unitarian Universal. I mean, geez, I, who could really know? One day, God's going to come and he's going to sort it all out and we'll, we'll all figure it out. Verse 26, and Jesus declares, I the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, See a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for your word. God, I, I pray that as, uh, as you led your disciples into uh, areas and places where they would have normally avoided, you were really teaching them something about your heart. God, I pray that as we get into your word today, that you would reveal maybe something about our hearts so that we could come more in line with your heart for your people. Jesus, reveal yourself to us to a greater degree, and may we follow you even when we don't understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So, um, there are a few things that I just want to walk through over the next you know, amount of time that we have here. I want to look at and just put ourselves in the shoes of... Of, of those that are following Jesus. And so today, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you were invited today or this is your first time here, um, this, is a, this is a perfect Sunday for you because you get a glimpse of what it must have been like to be a follower of Jesus when he was here on earth. And so we have the opportunity just by asking this question to kind of strip away all the things that have kept you away from organized religion. Some of the things that you're like, I don't want to have anything to do with this church thing, but I do, and I'm intrigued by this Jesus guy. And so we can see it purely about what it means just from the words of Jesus and how he led his disciples to become more like him. So let's follow along in John chapter 4. Let's read verse 1 again. He says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact... It was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So I want, you to, I want you to just understand this as we enter into this story. And we're putting ourselves in the shoes of his followers. Jesus was gaining a ton of popularity. He had a lot of momentum at this time. And it was really cool to be a follower of Jesus. It was really cool to be close to Jesus because everyone wanted to be close to Jesus. Crowds are gathering. And, and the Bible says that he's now baptizing more people than John the Baptist, which is a pretty big deal because that's pretty much what John the Baptist did. He baptized people. So Jesus right now is like, he's got more followers and he's baptizing more people. And I love how John's gospel clarifies something to us, very important. And this is what he says that Jesus wasn't actually baptizing people. Who was doing it? His followers. His followers, his disciples, were the ones who were actually doing the baptizing. Now, here's the thing. 
I love how Jesus is always bringing his followers into his ministry. This was never meant to just be a, hey guys, give me the mic and I'm just going to show you all and you can listen to me and pat me on the back and be like, wow, isn't Jesus so awesome? The whole thing, the whole point of Jesus discipling and, and gathering followers is so that he can teach, show, and then release them to do the work. Even, even in the very beginning, he was releasing them. He didn't baptize anyone. He's like, I want my followers to be doing this stuff. Jesus, time and time again, is releasing, building up and releasing his followers. We see it. You can read it later on. In Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out first the 12, and then they go out, and this is essentially what it says in Luke 9, 1. It says, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And then in Luke chapter 10, he's like, hey, that worked out pretty good. They all went out, and Jesus didn't go with them. He was like, all right, you guys have been watching me long enough. You understand how this thing works. Now I'm going to send you out. You guys go do it. They come back, they're like, Jesus, it was amazing. This was awesome. So it works. Luke chapter 10, he sends out 72. He's like, you guys go out two by two. Go do these things. And what he tells them, you can read it on your own time. He says this, I want you to go out, and I want you to heal, and I want you to tell them the kingdom of God has come to you. This is the goal that Jesus is bringing, that we are carriers of the kingdom of God. And he's like, I want you to go out, and I want you to bring the kingdom to people. So when you're walking around, you're going to the store, you're at your workplace, the whole point that Jesus is saying, I want you to go out there, and I'm equipping you, and I want you to say, the kingdom of God has come near to you. You're to bring the kingdom of God near to those who are far from Jesus. And Jesus does this time and time again. He's, he's literally equipping, blessing, and releasing them. If you even think of the, the miracle of the, of the feeding of the 5,000, this still boggles my mind because I don't understand how this miracle happens because I can't grasp it in my mind. But here's what I do know. From reading, reading the Bible, it did not happen like this. All right, Jesus takes the bread and the fish, thank you, and he just goes, here you go, guys. Hey, come on, everybody. Buffet. Come, eat some food. He just keeps making it. The miracle happens. Read it. The miracle happens as he delegates and gives out to his disciples to go and to do the work of ministry. As he gives the bread to his disciples to go and feed the hungry, there's something that happens as his disciples are delegated and doing the work of ministry that all of a sudden it is literally the miracle happens in the delegation of that. Because Jesus is always calling us to come alongside, not to just sit and watch. Because sometimes following Jesus, if you're taking notes today, is this, that doing what you thought only Jesus could do. Jesus never created an atmosphere where everybody was just looking around and being like, wow, Jesus, you're just doing an awesome job. He was always discipling, bringing them along, and then releasing them to do the work of ministry. He's equipping the saints for the work of ministry. That was always his goal. It's, that, it's this reality that following Jesus isn't simply about believing the right things or behaving the right way. It is about an interactive journey of this watch, and now you do it. I'll, I'll equip you, give you authority, now you go and do it. Where, where Jesus gives you authority, where he gives you power, not just to stop sinning, not just to be like, 
oh, I, I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do, but to be his hands and feet to people that desperately need help. This has always been the goal of following Jesus. Always. It was never meant to be a spectator sport. And he continues in verse 3. It says, so he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. I don't know. I mean, so he's, he's already been to Galilee, went to Judea, and now he's going back to Galilee. I mean, have you, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but like Jesus is always on the move. He's always moving around. He gets, he gets them to one place, and you're following him, and you're like, okay, okay, cool. This is, this is really cool. Um, we should probably set up camp, and this is, no, and Jesus is like, nope, now we got to go back to Galilee. But we were just in Galilee, yet we're going back. And here's the thing, is that I can tend to think that following Jesus is all about getting to a destination where I can finally sit down and rest. Where I finally arrived, finally, Jesus, now we can binge Netflix. Oh, good job. We made it, you know? Like, God, thank you, Jesus. We finally, finally arrived. And as soon as we get to the place, as soon as I get to the place where I feel like, man, this is what we've been working towards, Jesus. Did we get, we got there. Now we can sit down and retire in Florida. This is awesome. Jesus is like, nope, now we're going. What are you talking about? And the, this is the problem. When the saints of God, the followers of God, decide to sit down and feel like they've already arrived and Jesus has long moved, and they're saying, no, we've arrived. This is good. Jesus says, we've never arrived. Get up. Let's go. We've got stuff to do. We're moving on. I've taken you to, I'm taking you further. I'm taking you faster. I'm taking you higher. We've got more things to do in your life. And you're like, I'll catch you on the way back because you're probably going to come back here, right? We'll just, we'll just keep doing this thing. I'll just stay here and cherry pick, right? And Jesus is off again. And this next move, I want you to understand this. If you're a follower of Christ, I want you to see this in verse 4. The next move that Jesus makes is utterly, 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 utterly confusing. And this is what it says, verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. Let me give you a little kind of a geography lesson in, in a historical context. So, there are they're in Judea, and they want to get to Galilee, which is north. Now, in the middle is an area that is called Samaria. Now, he's saying, we're here, we want to go here. Now, we have to go through Samaria to get there. Now, there's only one problem with this. This middle area called Samaria, Jews are on either side of it, Samaritans are in the middle. There's an over 700-year deep-seated racism, hatred between Jews and Samaritans. This is, this is the bad part of town. This is the place that your mama told you never to go. Just stay away from this, and if you ever go through it, you roll up those windows and you lock your doors, right? What happened? What was going on here? Well, G the, the Jews took very like a lot of pride in the fact that they were a pure race, that they were God's chosen people, and the Samaritans were kind of these called like half-breeds, they, they were half Jew and, and half Assyrian, so they weren't true Jews. So they're culturally divided, they're religiously divided, they're racially divided, not unlike what's happening today. And the Jews and Samaritans just hate each other. They were at, at odds, and it was mutually, it was mutual feeling. They both didn't like each other. 
So much so that you can read in John chapter 8, when Jesus' enemies wanted to call him a bad name, they called him a Samaritan. It's like a four-letter word. It's a derogatory term. This is how Jews felt. And verse 4 says that they had to go through Samaria. And most people would argue that they didn't have to go through Samaria. Now, I would argue it is the fastest way. The fastest way to be point A and point B, point B is a straight line. But most good Orthodox Jews never would even step foot in Samaria. They would take the long way around. So rather than going straight through Samaria, they'd take, they'd hook over and they'd go up along the river and be able to miss Samaria, they would add essentially two extra days of walking to their trip. It was normally like a two to three day trip. It turned into more like a five day trip of walking. I can barely walk for an hour. These guys are taking two extra days of walking just to avoid it. Now, we kind of look at this and we're like, that is so silly. Why? Because we love shortcuts. I love a good shortcut. If you can show me a faster way to get from point A to point B, I'm like, I am there. When my GPS reroutes and gives me a faster way and I watch it like my arrival time to go get even sooner, I'm like, hallelujah. This is awesome. We love shortcuts, except if the shortcut goes through something that you're trying to avoid. <laughs> then all of a sudden, the shortcut isn't, isn't quite as sexy. And I'm always amazed at, at, at how the lengths that people will go through to avoid something. Now, none of you in here do that, but you know people, the people in the other service, right? The, those people go through great lengths to avoid things. They will take the long way around rather than go through what is right in front of their face. You have friends, not you, but you have friends that you can see. Everyone in their life sees the answer, and it is so clear and so simple, and they just choose to take the long way around. They choose to, to, to make something more complicated when it is really so simple, and they choose to take the long way around rather than to, than to do what is, what is right in front of their face. And you have friends, you watch people who will give advice that they're unwilling to take for themselves. And you're like, Dan, are you kidding me? You're not, you're not even willing to do this. And you'll watch people make something harder just because they want to avoid the hard. You ever, you ever been there? Where the hard thing is to have a direct conversation, but I think I'm just going to settle for some hate texting. I'll just blow it off, you know, just go back and forth. I'll just do it. I'll, I'll battle it out on social media. That's the right way to do it, right? <laughs> Thank you. Going the long way around rather than knowing what it is that God's calling us to. And so what do we do? We, we change our churches. Oh, I just... Rather than dealing with this, I'm going, or we change our service time. Thank you, Jesus, for two services, right? I used to go to first service, but I hate somebody there now, so I go to second, right? I know that's none of you, but it's other people, right? So what do we do? We choose to shop at a different grocery store. You used to shop at Hannaford. Now you shop at Market Basket, and you try to be like, well, it's just cheaper. No, you're just trying to avoid somebody. You know. You walk down the aisle and be like, oh, no. 
and you gotta like, you gotta evade them, and you're going down crazy aisles, you're going down the pet food aisle, you don't even have a pet just to avoid somebody, right? So we take the long way around. We change our phone number. We leave a job. We get an ulcer. We get a divorce. We ghost a friend. We do anything we can to avoid that which is right in front of our face to take the long way around. And my question to you is this. What is your Samaria? What is, what is that thing that you've just been going around rather than going through? What is your Samaria? Because sometimes following Jesus means going through the very thing that we've been avoiding. And Jesus just decides, I love it. He decides to just go right through it. But don't forget, he's got, a, he's got his disciples that are coming along with him. He goes right, he walks right into racism. He walks right into hatred that most people would just walk around. He is essentially communicating to us. Look, all these religious people have thought, oh, I'm just being really holy by taking the long way around and adding two extra days, but it's no problem. I'm holy, right? And Jesus is saying, that is not a mark of holiness. You avoiding that which is right in front of you, you avoiding racism and bigotry and saying it's not there and trying to just act like these people don't exist, that is not a mark of holiness. You're essentially taking the long way around when what is right in front of you is where I'm calling you to. And he walks right into it. And I need you to understand that everything that Jesus did was on purpose. And so as you follow him, everything that he leads you to is for your growth and for God's glory, and he does it for a reason. So it's like Jesus is, is leading his followers to, on a trip like to the, to the worst part of town, to a place where your mom told you never to go to, 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 to people and around people that, that your mom told you just to stay away from. And this is where Jesus is leading them. And I'm sure they're thinking, what in the world is he doing? Why are we even on this road? Peter, is Jesus serious? We're going there? My mom said never to go there. What are we doing right now? This cannot be. Like, we should go back. God, like, things were happening over here. Now we're going into like a, a den of robbers? Like, this is horrible. And the racism is like palpable. Not just in their own hearts as they're looking at people that they're told to just not even associate with. But as the stares are on them. As Samaritans are wondering, what are these dudes doing? Have they lost their way? And this is what they're walking into. Racism. Talk about Jesus taking someone outside of their comfort zone. And so they get to the outskirts of the Samaritan town, Sychar. You can read it. And essentially, Jesus, you know what he does? He's like, oh, I'm so hungry can you guys go get me some food? And they're like, excuse me? Yeah, just go into town. I'm just, I'm really, I'm just famished. I'm just going to stay here. You're going to what? You're going to stay here and then you're going to send us to go into town? Jesus, do you realize where we are? These people aren't going to sell anything to us. He's like, I know, but guys, I'm just going to stay here. What do you, you just go into town. Just go get some. Like, what kind of, like, 
Why would he do this? And I don't know how this whole thing went, but here's the question. How many disciples does it take to go get lunch? (laughs) Apparently, all of them. All of them. I don't know how this thing went down, but I put myself, we're putting ourselves in their shoes. I'm just guessing how the conversation goes. They're thinking, well, don't look at me. I'm not going. Let's send Bartholomew. He never says anything. Go. We could light him on fire. He wouldn't even yell for water. Bartholomew, you're going. And now, like, literally, like, they're like, no, 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 I'm not going. I'm not going. Okay, there's only a good way. There's only one way to do this, guys. Okay, let's go. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. You always do paper, right? Like, I'm not going. I don't even care. I'm not going alone. Okay, fine. Let's walk. We'll hold hands. So all these disciples are literally, I'm just imagining them going into a place, deeper into a city that they weren't supposed to be at, talking to people that they shouldn't even be associating with, and they're thinking, my mom's going to kill me. And they're walking in, probably with their heads down, so as not to make any eye contact. They're thinking, okay, just roll up your windows and lock your doors. And Thomas is like, we're walking. Thomas, shut up and do it, right? You doubt everything, right? They're just like, they're literally walking through here just trying to avoid any confrontation as they're just going, we just need to get some lunch. We just need to get some lunch. Let's just do this thing. They must have been scared. Now, here's the thing. When I'm scared, when I'm in an awkward situation, when I feel like I'm in a place that's painful or I'm in a place that like I'm just a little out of my element and uncomfortable, here's my thought process. I think I must not be following Jesus right. Something must be wrong. Like I'm in Samaria going to get lunch and people are staring at me and this does not make me feel good and I, I want to be with my people. I don't understand why I'm in this place. I must have misheard Jesus or I must be not following Jesus right because if I was following Jesus right, then it would be simple and it would be easy and I would be better looking and I would be richer and more popular and I'm none of those. So I must be doing it wrong. I must not be hearing him right, but could it be that just as Jesus is releasing ministry and having them take part in miracles and and baptizing people on his behalf, could it be that this was part of his plan as well? Why don't you guys go get some lunch? I'll stay here. Because following Jesus can sometimes mean addressing what you would otherwise avoid. And I find that in our Christian walk so often. We keep taking the long way around, the long way around, rather than walking to the next step that Jesus has called us to. It's simple, doesn't mean that it's easy, but it's really simple. Could it be that this was part of the learning process of how Jesus disciples his followers? That he brings them into a town they should never be, to a people they should never talk to, and then sends them to go find food. So they all go. They all go to get lunch, and Jesus, they leave Jesus behind, and up walks a Samaritan woman. And it's about to get scandalous, okay? Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman comes to draw water, Jesus says to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. We just talked about that. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
One thing we need to understand is that most good Jewish rabbis would never be seen talking to even a woman in public. That would be their mother, their sister, their wife. It just didn't happen. There was no, like, culturally speaking, they weren't talking outside in public to each other. We find Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. There's even so much so that, like, in the Jewish Talmud, there is a sect of the Pharisees called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. You're like, bruised and bleeding Pharisees, why? Because they were known for keeping their head down so as not to actually make eye contact or to see a woman. Oh my gosh, I almost saw her. I almost saw a girl. Oh my gosh, I almost saw a girl. Right? They would walk around and literally if they saw a woman or glimpsed at a woman, this is what they did. They would close their eyes and just keep walking. Oh, like just slamming into things, right? Because they were, they were so scared to, to actually see a woman. They were known as the bruised and bleeding Pharisees because they would, if they saw one, they would run into one. And then they kind of wear these like bruises and cuts as like holy merit badges. Literally like, hey, you know that girl over at the, the camel rental? Oh my gosh. That one's from her. She popped out of nowhere, right? Like, This is, and they kind of wear these things. It's like, this is who I am. And I'm, aren't I so holy because I'm avoiding things? I'm taking the long way around. I'm taking the long way around. And and Jesus not only looks at her as a rabbi, he talks to her and then he asks her for a drink of water. Which, just receiving a cup of water from a Samaritan woman would be have believed to have made you unclean. Like, I have a hard enough time drinking after my own children with their open mouth and they're, and they're like spit up. You know what I mean? It's like, this is a whole nother level. Jesus asks her for a drink of water. And we don't have time to get into it today. But Jesus starts, he has a word of knowledge and he starts speaking and says, I know that you have had five husbands and now you're living with your boyfriend. And then she kind of sidesteps it and they get into a discussion about religion and about politics and, you know, where's the, where's the mountain that we're supposed to be worshiping on and all those things. Meanwhile, the disciples are coming back from Subway. And they're like, oh my gosh, you see that guy? They're still holding hands, of course. They're like, did you see that guy staring at me? Peter's like, yeah, I was ready to cut his ear off. You know, like, absolutely. You know, just give me a reason. And they're walking and they're looking and they see Jesus and he's talking to someone. And they're like, you got to be kidding me. We're in Samaria. He's talking to one of them. And they get closer and it gets worse. He's not just talking to one of them. He's talking to a female, one of them. And there's all these thoughts going on on the inside of them, like, what is Jesus thinking? We are associated with this guy. Jesus is breaking every social and religious rule in the book. What is he doing even talking to this woman? And what we find is that sometimes following Jesus means walking towards what you do not understand. I find that so many times God calls me to walk in a direction and he doesn't tell me everything that is going to happen or what's going to happen on the other side of it. He just says, walk in obedience and you'll, then you'll understand. And I want to hold back and say, well, I want to understand first and then I'll walk in it. But sometimes following Jesus means that we walk towards that which we do not understand. This is exactly what's happening with these guys. They're walking literally towards the epitome of everything that their mama had taught them to avoid and everything that they did not understand. Then they're walking towards it. 
And just as they walk up, this is what they overhear. Verse 25. The woman said, remember, I, I know that the Messiah, you know, called Christ is coming, but when he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. Like, that's not, that's not getting into much of a discussion here. It's going to be fine. Verse 26, Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And then we catch up with his followers. Just then his disciples returned as they're talking. And they're surprised to find him talking with a woman, a Samaritan woman. Thinking, why in the world is Jesus telling the Samaritan woman who he is? He shouldn't even be talking to her. And then he reveals that he is the son of God, that he is the Messiah to this woman who literally is just immoral. She is unclean in every way. Like this should not be somebody that Jesus should even be talking to, let alone just revealing himself to. And he just, he just starts loving on this woman. And I would say to you, if you feel like your next step in following Jesus is scary, you're probably following Jesus. If you feel like your next step is a little awkward and you're not quite sure how it's all going to turn out, you're probably following Jesus. If you feel like your next step is taking you out of your comfort zone to minister to people that most people would go out of their way to avoid, you're probably And it flies in the face of religion. Why? Because religion tells you, just stay comfortable. Do not get yourself around people that make you uncomfortable, that are unclean. Religion tells us, to just we just need to stay, stay, stay clean, stay pure. Don't allow the unclean to make the clean unclean. Keep sinners at arm's length. Just come to church, live out of duty, and love those who love you. Just focus in on that. Just love those who love you. Because if everyone would just be a little bit more like me, then they'd be easier to love, in my humble opinion. But it's when people that aren't like me makes it a little bit different. But what I find through the Gospels, what I find in Jesus delegating to his followers to do what he did, I find him releasing them to baptize sinners, to break social norms, to not allow racism or bigotry or what other people might think to get in the way of loving people. He just walks straight into it. And he expects us to walk into it too. Because if we're following him, we kind of have to keep up. Well, but Jesus, isn't it easier just to avoid it? Isn't it easier just to not deal with what's going on in our culture right now? It's so much easier if I just kind of act like it doesn't happen and I could just close my eyes and just, kind of, and just kind of act like it doesn't exist. And Jesus says, no, we're walking right into it. That's where I want to be. And it doesn't mean, you can read his conversation, it doesn't mean that he condones sin. It just means that he loved without compromise those that were far from him. In verse 27, we read that the disciples returned and they were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But none of them were willing to ask what all, I love how they, they didn't ask the question, but were able to see what the questions were. It was this, what do you want to the woman? Or, Jesus, why are you talking to her? What is going on here? Is it her fault or your fault? Do you want us, either way, we got to split this thing up. What do you want, woman? Get out of here. Jesus, why are you talking to her? Get out of here. Let's eat our subway and go. 
This is crazy. I don't even understand why we're doing this. And I, I'm sure they're thinking, okay, Jesus, I, 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 can, I can understand you loving me because it's me. And I'm pretty lovable. And I helped an old lady cross the street, so I can understand you loving me. And I can even accept, I can, uh, I can even accept you loving Matthew, the tax collector, even though I got issues with him still. Like, he's been around. I can even accept that. I don't know quite why, but I can accept it. But what do you have in common with an unclean Samaritan woman? She doesn't, she's culturally, she's racially, she doesn't, she doesn't doesn't even, she's not even on the same page as us. Why in the world would you even be talking to her, let alone revealing yourself to her? I don't understand it. And honestly, I question Jesus a lot. I do. And I find that Jesus disagrees with me all the time. Does Jesus ever disagree with you? (laughs) Maybe? No, you're just like, no, he usually gets on the same page. It's pretty good. I just talked to him for a little bit, and then he figures it out. I knew you'd come around, Jesus, right? You disagree with him? The question is this. When Jesus disagrees with you, what do you do? You say, wow, Jesus has the bigger say-so in my life and I choose to follow him? Or do we hold back and hope that Jesus will one day smarten up? Because he obviously isn't seeing it correctly. Does he have a say-so in your life? Why don't you stand with me? The last point, if for those of you who have a bit of OCD, it's, is this. What, what I've found is that following Jesus means expanding your limits of God's love. Following Jesus means expanding your limits of God's love. See, Jesus was extraordinarily comfortable with people who weren't anything like him. You see that? People who weren't like Jesus liked Jesus. Time and time again, they loved being around this guy. The Samaritan woman, even though she was being confronted and having some really awkward conversations, runs back to her friends saying, could this be the Messiah? He told me everything I ever did. I want you to know that Jesus Jesus would have liked you. In fact, he does like you. And, and your past doesn't disqualify you from him liking you. Your present doesn't disqualify you from him liking you. Luke 5.30, the Pharisees were confused with why Jesus was hanging around with all these people. It says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, and this is what they said, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? What's the deal? And what I find is that those Pharisees were were so focused on, on what other people were doing or not doing. Because here's what happens. When we think that we've arrived, this is what we do. We sit down 
and we think, my job is now no longer to follow Jesus. My job is now to evaluate other people. Did you see what she was wearing today? Oh my gosh. Can't believe she came to church like that. I smelled alcohol on his breath. Seriously? Oh, really? You haven't been here in like three months. Well, it's nice to see you. Look what the cat dragged in. Did you hear about what's going on with those two? Yeah, I did too. <sighs> Just wish people would finally get it, you know, like me. But following Jesus causes me to be more focused on what he has yet to do in me, and I'm less critical about what he has yet to do in you. May we never stop following him or think that we've arrived at some place of holiness that gives us the right to sit and binge watch Netflix and think, good job, Jesus, we made it. Hope everyone else measures up to me and can make it one day too. that Jesus goes out of his way to minister and to love people that, I mean, I just, they, they don't deserve it. They're not even on the same page. And it's when I continue to follow him, I realize that he loves them just as much as he loves me. Because if I don't earn merit, then they don't, they don't either. So my question to you this morning is, are you following Christ? Are you following him? Or are you so consumed about what other people are doing or not doing? It's really easy to fall into that. To feel like our job is to evaluate the world. If everyone would just watch the news station I listen to, if everyone would just do what I do and act like I act, then it would be so much easier and we would miss the point. This is Jesus' answer to the Pharisees that said, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. He's like, I came for the sick, not the healthy. In other words, your sin doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus. Your past doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus. What he's saying is the only people that are qualified to follow me are people that are honest enough to say, I need help. Like, I don't got this. Those are the people that are qualified to follow Jesus. And it's the invitation to follow him. It's not an invitation to, to follow rules. It's the invitation to get into a relationship with him. And you'll find yourself loving people you never thought you'd love, talking to people you never thought you'd talk to, going into the parts of town that you never thought that you would ever go to because your mom told you to stay away from these people, lock your doors, roll up your windows. Why? Because they're dirty, because they're, they're different, because you don't want to associate yourself with them. Jesus walks right into it and he brings us into it too and he calls us not to take the long way around but to walk straight into our culture the things that are really going on for maybe for some of you today 
Maybe this is like the first time that you've ever come to the place where you're like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I've been trying to like fight this whole Christianity thing and I don't want to have anything to do with the church. But I'll tell you what, I want to follow a, I want to follow a man like that. I want to follow a leader like that. I want to follow a God like that. Like I, I want to follow that. Because I think there's something that rises up on the inside of us in our culture today that says, that is something that I want to follow after. People that aren't afraid to go after the, the less fortunate and to love them even though they don't deserve it. Because that was me and that was you. So for maybe this is the first time you're saying, like, this is the first time where you're saying like, I want to follow you, God. I don't know what's on the other side of it and it is scary and I thought, I would never do this. But this is, the, this is the type of leader I want to follow all the days of my life. I want to pray with you. Lord Jesus, I pray for each and every single person in here, whether this is the first time or the hundredth time, if that decision is to follow Jesus, may we take our first step or our next step, or to choose to stand up when we're sitting down, when we feel like we've arrived, and we choose to trust you with all of us. You are our Lord. You are our Savior, God. I pray that you would meet us like only you can, Jesus. If you have any prayer needs in any area of your life, maybe you, maybe you came here today, you just prayed that prayer, but you've got, you've got a prayer need of, you know, some, you need healing in your life, or you just got a diagnosis that you were not expecting, or you need to pray for your marriage, or there's things that you just know that are, that are bigger than you that Jesus is calling you to step into for your next step. I just want to encourage you as we, as we end this with this last song, step out of your seat. Allow yourself to say, God, I surrender myself to you. God, I ask that you would take this life and make something great out of it as I follow you, Jesus. And I'm willing to. I'm willing to. I'm willing to. One of my favorite parts of this story is that the disciples come back and... Um, and they offered Jesus the subway that they went out to get. They said, Rabbi, eat something. And he says, nah, I'm not hungry. <laughs> I think that maybe Jesus is more concerned about where he's leading you. And if you're following him. So continue next step in following Christ no matter the cost. Be blessed and have a great week. God bless you.